Welcome to the Cornerstone Corner, our weekly message podcast. At Cornerstone, we are enthusiastic about all ages, having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open the Bible and hear God's Word for us today. So what are you guys doing? Oh, Marvin and I are getting our act together, right Marvin? Right Tammy? But that's one of Isabel's songs. Oh, look, Isabel might know the words, babe, but I invented the moves. Right, Marvin? Right, Karen. Yeah. In fact, we're looking for somebody to do backup with us. Right, Marvin? Yeah, Tammy. Listen, baby. Ooh. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Foreman. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, how many of you wanted to get up and dance right now and just say, yeah, come on, right? All right. Well, uh, that movie, if you've never seen that movie, is actually Stepmom. It was in the 90s. I don't think I've ever seen that movie, but my wife tells me it's an incredible one. Um, and so, uh, but uh, I show you that this morning as we begin, uh, not because of the movie, not because of what's going on in the film, but because of the song that they were singing, right? Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And actually, for me, is a go-to karaoke song. Uh, and I don't know if I sing it well, but it's a good one for me. I, it's a go-to song, right? Uh, but I, I use that this morning uh, to highlight, uh, this is really the introduction this morning, that song, uh, highlighting the idea that nothing uh, will be able to get in the way of what we are after, right? Like there ain't no mountain high enough, right? Ain't no valley, and, right? To, to do what? To keep me from getting in the song, right? to you, right? Like nothing being able to get in the way of what we're after. Even a mountain is not going to get in the way, right? Which is a sentiment. The reason I use all this is that it's a sentiment that we are going to see play out in our text today uh, in Joshua chapter 14, which by the way, if you want to grab a Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 14. That's where we're going to land today. But we're going to see a nothing is going to be able to get in the way of what we are after sentiment play out actually with a literal mountain, right? So you kind of see the connection there, right? There ain't no mountain literally high enough uh, in some sense in the text today. But here's what, we're not going to talk about love and getting to people and all that kind of stuff. We're going to see it in a different way this morning, but one that I hope that we actually will catch um, and emulate and follow and do in our lives. And I think that'll make more sense as we walk through this today. Um, but just a little bit of context for you to help kind of lead us into this, like ain't no mountain high enough kind of sentiments playing out. Um, the emphasis of where we've been in, in the book of Joshua, uh, the, the book of Joshua is a lot about Joshua, but in Joshua 14, this storyline uh, moves from Joshua to a guy named Caleb, okay? Uh, everybody say Caleb. All right. I'm just waking you up this morning, all right? Uh, and so uh, as we looked at, if you were here earlier this year, we looked at this story, but in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, I'm not going to put it up there today, 
but uh, Caleb was actually part of a group of spies that went over to the promised land to kind of spy out the promised land, which like we have now, like they finally, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They finally got into outside the promised land and, and Moses sends these spies in to check it all out, right? Um, and, uh, and so like in the book of Joshua that we're in, then he gets to lead them into this whole thing, right? And so as the story reads, the spies, when they come back from the, the promised land and spying this all out, uh, that Moses sent them out, there's a conflict in what they report, right? The majority report and the minority report are contradictory, right? And the majority declare, hey, this is impossible. There are giants that live there. Like, there are like Zach Rudds everywhere, right? He's kind of a big guy, all right? But like there's, there's giants everywhere. And so like this is impossible. We're going to die. We can't do this. And like Joshua and Caleb are going, wait a second. Like we, we've, got the, we've got the Lord on our side. We, we can do this. Like we've got this. But ultimately what ends up happening is that the majority report gets the, the, the people, the Israelites into fear and they never enter that land. Okay. And so here in Joshua chapter 14, this is all setting this up for today. Okay. Here in Joshua chapter 14, Caleb declares to Joshua that he desires that exact spot, that region, the mountain of Hebron is what we're going to talk about today. You can see the connection here, right? Because there ain't no mountain high enough for Caleb that he ain't going to, nothing's going to get in his way of getting to Hebron. He's going to go and get it. Okay. And so he is confident that, that though uh, the reality is, is that, uh, that the mountain's still there, the hill country's still there, and the giants, where they've been, and they're still there. He's confident with the help of God that he can claim this mountain. And I think that as we will see today, there are some great lessons from Caleb uh, that we can learn uh, from today. And as he claimed the mountain that, by the way, God had put in his path many, many years before. All right? And so I want you to hold that thought as we like hold the thought of ain't no mountain high enough, okay, um, for just a moment, we are currently in a message series, and we've been in this for the last several weeks, and it's been, man, I don't know about you, but it's been really good for me to walk through this, uh, putting these together, and it's been, God's been doing stuff in our midst, um, but the message series is Joshua living on the edge of victory, where we're studying the main events in the book of Joshua in the Bible, and uh, today we're going to explore in chapter 14, this is our message title, How to Claim a Mountain. And as we see a few things from Caleb, as he claimed the region, claimed the mountain of Hebron in this text. And uh, I think I'm going to try to uh, hopefully give you some things to, to think about and some lessons that we can, again, catch and emulate and do in our lives, just as we see Caleb do in this story. Okay? Now, just like every week, we've been reading a lot of text. Okay? So uh, we're going to start in verse 6 today, and we're going to read quite a bit, so follow along as best as you can. It'll be up on the screen as well. All right, so let's take a look, starting in verse 6. It says, now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites, I just went through this, right? My fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land in which your feet have walked, this is Hebron, will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. 
I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Just a few more verses. You yourself heard, uh, heard then that the uh, Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephana, and gave him Hebron as in his, his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephana, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And then the land had rest from war uh, at that time. And so uh, I think we see a few things here, a few keys from Caleb in the story, all right? In the dialogue that we read that takes place, in my opinion, is a nothing is going to get in the way of what I'm after kind of sentiment, okay? That's what plays out. We see that play out. And I want to draw from that today in order for us to, here's, the, here's where I'm going today. I want to, in the end, for us to be able to more, if I can say this, with quote, claim our mountains as well, like we see Caleb do here with uh, the mountain of Hebron in the area of Hebron. Now, I do want to throw out one caveat to this before we jump in. Uh, and so it's this. When I say uh, that throughout the rest of our time together, that in the end we, are, we can, uh, quote, claim our mountains, what I what I'm not suggesting today is that this is the, you might have heard this if you've been around the church or church world or whatever, I'm not suggesting this is the prosperity gospel, okay? I'm not suggesting that, uh, that hey, quote, do these things and your life will always be abundantly blessed and wonderful uh, because many of you know, and we've been talking about this a lot over the last couple of years because it can be confusing that God promises a lot, a lot of things, but how many of you know life is still hard? Right? And so like, the truth of this is that I'm going to suggest that we're going to live in a certain way today, but the truth is, is we may not actually see the fruits of our faithfulness on this side of heaven, folks. We just might not. Right, but that doesn't mean that we don't gotta live that way. Like we, so what I'm gonna be suggesting is that no matter if we reap these benefits and claim our mountains this side of heaven or not, this is a great way to live. Okay, so I think that's a caveat that's really important that I'm not gonna be suggesting that that like uh, your life is gonna be perfect and roses and all that kind of stuff. Okay, life's still gonna be hard. Okay, so with that though, I do want to draw a couple keys here from Caleb in order to more uh, claim our mountains. Okay, but first I want to pray. Okay, so if you would pray with me, and then I will give you some things to write down and think about. So let's pray. God. We are just grateful that we have a space we can meet and connect with you each Sunday morning. And God, it's just been a privilege already to be in your presence. We know you're with us. And so, God, as we take some time to look deeper into this and how to, uh, what we see from Caleb and how he claimed this mountain and the, some of the tenacity and some of the things that he did, gosh, God, I, th- I want more of that in my life. I want more of that in our church. And I think many of these people want that too. So I pray that you would do a supernatural move among us as we go through this this morning. That it's not just uh, us talking and, and this conversation, but ultimately your spirit would do something inside of us. You would make us more like Jesus as a result of our time together. And uh, God, if I stand up here and just talk, it's going to be worthless. But if you do something, it would be well worth our time. So just show up, show off, and we give this time to you and honor you with it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, two keys at the end to claiming our mountains that we see here from Caleb Joshua in Joshua chapter 14. First one is, in the end, claim your mountain by, number one, living in and by your convictions. Fill it in on your handout. Living in and by your convictions. Now, you may have caught this as we read it, all right, but Caleb actually uses that exact word, that conviction word in the language that we read, and he tells Joshua that the the value that he's had and the value that he's upheld in his convictions, and just to remind us, it's in uh, verse uh, 7 of chapter 14, it says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report, and here it is, according to my 
convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And so Caleb tells Joshua the value that he's had and the value that he's upheld in his convictions then and saying now as well, which is, is in then in part why Joshua agrees to Caleb's request. He says, okay, take, take Hebron, take the mountain, right? Because he was convicted, Caleb was convicted then that it was possible, and he in this moment is convicted that it's still possible now. He never wavered. He never changed his mind. By the way, as I mentioned a minute ago, the, the giants were still there. The Zach Rudds were still there. By the way, I don't know, Zach's just really much taller than me, right? But the giants were still there, but Caleb believes, Caleb, Caleb believes he, can, he can take them. He's got this. He can claim this mountain, this territory, this land. It says in verse 12, he says, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there. They're the giants. And their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Caleb is here. I think this is significant. We could easily miss this, folks. He's living in and by his convictions, by what is right, what he knows to be true, that that which he saw many years ago when he spied out the land, he, he with his own eyes, he's, he's staying convicted because he saw it with his own eyes and he's staying convicted to, to it today, which again is in the end, in the long run, why he's able to claim this mountain. And, and seeing this, Modeled by Caleb, when I was working on this, this message this week, seeing this model by Caleb, it reminded me of a, of a verse uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And honestly, it's actually one of my most favorite motivational verses in all of scriptures, anchor to live by. And it says this in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, that's you and me, stand firm. And then I love this, I underlined it. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Essentially, this is saying, live in and by your convictions. Let nothing, I love that. By the way, nothing means nothing in the Bible. Let nothing move you away from God, his ways, living in and those convictions. Let nothing move you. And folks, if I could encourage you pastorally today, let nothing move you in the convictions of what God has said. Let nothing move you in how you spend your time and what God says how to spend your time and how to spend your money, how we treat people, what we say yes to and what we say no to. What kind of, let, let God convict you in being a good husband and being a good wife. Let God convict you in what, what kind of daughter or son or boss or employee that you are. Let God convict you in how you care for your physical body. Will let God convict you in what moral decisions that you make, what purity plays a role in your life, where is, where's integrity. Let the Lord convict you in those things because therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully, that's important, fully to the work of the Lord. Not a little bit. Fully to the work of the Lord. Give it all. We just sang about that. You can have it all. Give it all to the Lord and live in those convictions. It's what we see Caleb do, and it's what we saw back with Moses, and we see it again here with Joshua. He lives in these convictions. And so I was trying to figure out a way to kind of illustrate this, because the reality is, is that this is actually, though we might see some uh, physical things happen because of this, is actually something internal. Like, we have to have this. This has to be in our heart, in our mind, convicted in the fact that we're going to live by this, and we're not going to waver. We're not going to let it move, right? And, uh, and so I, I was reminded of a video that I saw uh, several years ago, and I want to show it to you, and then I'll talk about it. But uh, what you're going to see is a Japanese sport called 
Botaushi. Everybody say Botaushi. Okay, you're going to see Botaushi. And I'm going to tell you, it's a little crazy. All right? So take a look at this, and then I'll make the connection. Is that crazy or what? Right? Uh, I put it in my notes. It's like a cross between rugby, king of the hill, and capture their flag. Anybody want to play later? Let's go. Come on, right? Uh, all right. So I saw this a few weeks ago. And so here's the point of Botaushi. Okay, Botaushi is for the offense, in the time allotted, there is a certain amount of time, they have to, their whole job is to pull that pole down. They have to attack that, and they have to pull that pole down. Well, the team defending, they tries to keep it up. And to win Botaushi, they have to, if I can say it this way, the, the, the defending team, they have to be unmovable. That, that team that's defending the pole, they have to be unmovable. Well, there's an entire team trying to pull that pole down. And so let me make the connection this morning. Folks, the truth is we are living in a world that is, is internally trying to make us movable to make us, to, to walk on shaky ground, right? To knock down, if I can say it this way, to knock down any and every pole or standard that God has established. Which I touched on a few of those topics actually a couple weeks ago, so I'm not gonna rehash those things. But like, it, this was my thought, folks. Like the reality is, is we're living in a world like this. I mean, and, and, and this, I think this is a good picture of it because we, we saw it in the video that, that it took some time. It took a little bit of maybe a couple of minutes, right? But in the end, the, 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 the other team, the, the uh, offensive team, they took the pole down. And to be honest, I, as I was watching that, I was thinking, though I, they, they were ripping each other, and like the one guy had his whole shirt ripped off, those kind of things. Like it, it, there, was, there was some challenge in the midst of that, but it actually looked fairly easy for them to pull it down. And, and this is what's happening all around us, and the things that used to be convictions in our culture, right, uh, in which people lived in and by now, they're saying, truth, what is truth? Truth is being questioned. Like, what is truth? And so, like, look, it's not about my truth or, or your truth. Truth is just truth, right? And by the way, in that is where we need to be immovable because, by the way, the Bible is true. What is in Scripture, by the way? And we're going to look at this and why I feel this way, not because it's my opinion, but because of what the Bible says. But it says in, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, this is the New Living Translation, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, by the way, there's many of us in the room, that's, that's us. It says, you are... Truly, my disciples, if you win, if you remain faithful to my teachings, and essentially, if we remain faithful to our inner convictions that he's given to us, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Will set you what? Free. The truth will set you free. What? What's the truth? His teachings, his convictions. Let nothing move you from that. 
folks, this is what I want to get at today with this point, is that, uh, folks, we need to internally uphold the pole that is within us. Many of us are followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. What would it look like if we, like Caleb, were just unmovable in living in and by our convictions? Going back to what I mentioned a minute ago, and, and we were literally immovable in what, how, we, how we would spend our time, that God would dictate that and we would be immovable in that. And how we would spend our money. Instead of just more and more and more for us. We, by the way, do you know that like God actually tells us to give? To give to the poor? To take care of the poor? To give? It's better to give than receive? What, what if that was uh, living by that conviction? Or, or how we treat people? Or what kind of husband or wife or son or daughter, parent, employee, boss that we are? Again, how we physically care for ourselves. What moral decisions we make in purity and integrity? Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully Again, what to the work of the Lord? The convictions in the Bible, God's ways. It's how, as I, as I looked at the story of Caleb, I think this is how, in the end, for you and I, folks, whether this is in this life or, or the next, for us, that we claim our mountain like Caleb. We can, God will look at us and say, either, gosh, I really wish you would have done this, or, well done, good and faithful servant. Can I tell you, I want the second one. I want well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody else want to join me in that? Right? Let's go. So we've got to stay true to the convictions in the Bible. Hold tightly to conviction. And, and here's why, again, this is why I think this makes sense. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, again, this is New Living Translation, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. Listen, this will come up on the screen. Claiming mountains comes from upholding godly poles. Folks, we're going we're gonna to climb our mountains. We've got to be, we've got to be that other team. And we're, it's solid. It ain't moving. We've got to be solid in that. It, climbing mountains comes from upholding godly poles. It's true. Knowing Jesus, following him. By the way, because he's never changed. How many of you know that our culture has changed a ton? Jesus has never changed. Jesus has never changed. So we've got to do things his way and, and not our own, which kind of, if I'm just really honest, I actually think that that's why our culture has changed so much because uh, people as human beings don't like to be told what to do. We like to do it our way and we like to do what we like to do and what we feel and all those kind of things. And, and, and if I can say it this way, we as humans don't like restrictions or directives, do we? I think this is actually why the world pushes against Jesus and pushes against godly things is because the fact that they don't, want, they, they don't want to be restricted. But folks, can I tell you something? And I've been following Jesus now for, uh, like, gosh, like, how old am I? I'm 42. So like, <laughs> thank you. appreciate that. <laughs> right? But like, I don't like, like 20, 20, 30 years. I, I've been following Jesus a long time. And here's what I found is that, that in restrictions and in directives from God, that is where the joy is. And though I know I, sometimes I don't want to like, oh, God, I don't want to do this, or I, I do want to do that, but, I, but I, and you tell me I can't do that. Like, I know that like, sometimes it's hard, but that's where the joy is, because it says in John chapter 10, 10, it says, I have come, Jesus has come, that they may have life and have it to the full in godly directives and restrictions. That is where life is found. Not just a little bit. It says there's a full life. And it says there, then in Hebrews 13, do, so folks, we got to not be attracted by strange and new ideas. Our strength comes from, not from that, but from God. 
Climbing mountains comes from upholding godly poles. I thought about it like this. Like I thought about, um, you likely have experienced this too. Like take a kid, for example, who has basically no restrictions or directives from his parents. You know some of these kids, right? Right? Um, compare that kid with a kid who isn't, I, I wouldn't say is overly directed or, or, or overly restricted, but does have and experiences regular restrictions and directives from his parents. Here's what I want you to think about. Which of those two kids has the better childhood and likely the better life? The kid who has restrictions, right? Of course they do, right? Uh, because you've probably been around the kids in the first category, probably wishing that you weren't because they're kind of a mess. And the reason why they're a mess is though the kid who gets whatever he wants and thinks and feels might in those moments when he gets whatever he wants and thinks and feels that life is, oh, this is great because I get whatever I want. What does it create? It creates undisciplined behavior, selfishness, entitlement, lack of worth, ethic, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Creating for him or her a much tougher life, if I can say it this way, they in the end will get a much tougher life than the restrictions and the directives would have given them. The same is true when I'm talking about today in this point, folks, in restrictions and directives is where life is found. Yes, God will give us some. He's going to give us some restrictions. He's going to give us some, some, uh, some, some uh, directives. But the alternative, honestly, the alternative is tougher. It may not be in every moment. You might be you're feeling great for some time, but it's going to, it's going to come back to bite you. There's value in living in and by our convictions that God has given to us, do not be attracted by thinking that the ways of Christ, oh gosh, I hear this so much right now, that the ways of Christ are just old. And then we embrace new ideas, new ways of thinking. Jesus, it says, is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. He's not going to change. He hasn't changed. He won't change. Don't be attracted by these strange new ideas. Jeremiah 6, 16, oh, this is a good verse, says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the what? Ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Folks, the ancient path is still the right path to live life to the full. Believe that to my core. I'm going to believe that to the day I die. Because that's where we find rest for our souls. And, by the way, this may very well be the crossroads Folks, we might be living in the crossroads right now in 2023 where we need to much more look and ask for the ancient path rather than new and latest idea and way of thinking about something. I mean, the sad part of this verse in Jeremiah is that it says that the people of Jerusalem responded here regarding the ancient path that God told them to take. It says, at the end of 16, it says, but you said, we will not walk in it. That's a sad part of that verse. If the ancient path is where there's going to be fun, rest for your souls, then it's going to be the good way, and you go, nah, we're not going to walk in that. Let, can, I, can I say this? Folks, let's not have the same response. Let's not, have, let's not live that same response. Look here, and just to recap this point, in the end, claiming your mountain happens by living in and by your convictions. It is key. It is, it is absolutely key. Now, to that end, before we go to point two, um, I do want to quickly say that uh, I think it's important when it comes to convictions to remember that, um, and this will come up on the screen, is that we have to remember that I can hold my convictions without convicting you. Okay? Um, we need to remember that it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction in the hearts of people, not mine. 
I think too often today, we as people, as followers of Christ, think we, we have these convictions, and it's our duty to convict everyone else. And so here's my question. How's that working, folks? Not, not so much. The Holy Spirit of God has to do a work in somebody's life for, for transformation to happen uh, in someone. It's not up to us. And God, gosh, God, I was thinking this week, thank goodness it's not up to us, because it would be probably messier than it already is. So I think we have to remember that when it comes to convictions. Like, so we have to live in our convictions. It's not our job to convict somebody else, okay? And so that's our first point. Second point, you can write this in. In the end, claim your mountain by letting age just be a number. Letting age just be a number. I love this picture, grandma of the year right there. Actually, I had the thought. I was like wondering if she was going to actually ride that sucker, right? All right. Uh, this point's going to be pretty straightforward this morning uh, and not super long because it's pretty clear in the text. Uh, the fact that we need to, folks, we need to let age just be a number, showcasing the truth that God is never through with us. And it actually comes from several verses in the text, but starting in verse 7 today, it says, I was 40 years old, this is Caleb saying, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. Verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since. The time, is said, uh, the, the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am. Today, 85 years old, verse 11, I'm still as vigorous, look at this, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. And then verse 12, the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Look, I love this. I'm so excited about this point. Um, we're going to take some time to pray over this later. Um, 45 years after Caleb spied out the land he, he, and had this conviction of being used by God, he declares it again at age 85. He still got something to give. He's bold enough to go capture the land, walk with God, do things for God. And, and so those of you in the older generation here today, or maybe you're going to watch this online later, I, and I'll let you make the determination if you're in the older generation. I'm not going to tell you what that is. Okay? But if you're here today, you're in the older generation, here's what the Lord would say to you. I think that he would say to you, considering Caleb in our text, God would say to you, I am not through with you yet. Come on. I've been so excited about today. He would say to you, I am not through with you. There's still room for you. There's things for you to do in the kingdom. I am not done with you yet. I think sometimes we as human beings, we, we reach a certain age or maybe a, a retired status in our working life that, that many sometimes can, quote, retire from the works of the kingdom then as well. But the truth is, folks, do you know that retirement is actually a human construct? It's not a biblical one. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, wait, 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 wait. Pastor Matt, isn't, isn't retirement mentioned in the Bible? Well, the short answer is actually no. Depending on what translation you use, the word retire is mentioned one time in the Bible. I'm actually going to bring it up on the screen. It says it, uh, in uh, Numbers 8, 23 through 26, which says this. It says, the Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites, men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting, but at the age of 50, they must retire. There's that word. They must retire from their regular service. That's important. From their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. Now, if you look at the ESV, right, the ESV, the word retire is actually not in there, all right? Um, but the intent remains the same. Basically, what's, what's happening here, to kind of make this make sense, is that the, uh, uh, the Levites were responsible for all the aspects of the worship of God, right, in the tent of meeting. Later was the temple. 
uh, from administering uh, sacrifices to maintaining and protecting uh, everything. They handled everything. And as this passage states, from age 25 to 50, they would, uh, they would then, uh, they would do what they needed to do. They would come into the service of the tent of meeting. But at age 50, they would transition out into a, did you notice, a different responsibility. Serving outside the tent of meeting. The underlying principle is, is that when the Levite turned 50 years old, their work responsibility did not end, it simply changed. And so retirement, again, we ought to understand, is a human construct, not a biblical one. And though some of you uh, have or will reach the age of a season of retirement from your work, congratulations, that's awesome. So happy for you. What I want you to encourage you today, and, and again, and I think what the Lord would say to you in considering this text in, in, with Caleb would say, yes, you may have retired from your work life, but I am not through with you yet. He's not done. Don't retire from kingdom work as well. Your responsibility has not ended. It may have just, it might just look a little different. But you still have things to do for God, the kingdom of God. I think we, uh, as we get older, uh, and, and really for all of us, we should, we should uh, take on this mantra, but we should live out the mantra that we see in Psalm 71. What an incredible verse. Psalm 71, 18 says, For even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. And I love this part. Till when? Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Expand the kingdom to the generations to come. Older generation in the room, we need you to expand the kingdom. Declare the power to us, the next generation. And yes, I'm putting myself in that category, even though I'm 42 years old. I need you. Young people in the room, if you're a young person in the room, I want you, you've probably been tuning me out because I'm talking to older people. But here's the younger people in the room, you need the older people in this room. You need the older people in this room. Be on the same team. Sometimes older folks can look bad at young folks, and young folks can look bad at older folks. We need each other. And so I would just say, this is an incredible prayer, by the way, to add uh, to our lives. Is that, Lord, even I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I, till, gosh, this is my heart, till I declare the power to the next generation. And so here's what I, would, I want to say to you, older generation in the room, here's what I would say to you. We honor you today. I honor you today. We, we need your wisdom, your expertise, your experience, your spiritual maturity. Let your age just be a number. God is not through with you yet. You know, Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 17 says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your, look at this, your old men will dream dreams. He is not through with you yet. What if, what if the Lord would tell you to start a new ministry? Right now, you may be 75 years old and God's gonna call you to start a new ministry. Maybe it's around the church or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's in the community. Maybe, you, maybe God will have you start working with teenagers. At 75, I've actually, you know, I was a student pastor. Maybe you know I was a student pastor. I've actually seen a couple of people in their 70s jump into hanging out with teenagers. They had no response, no uh, experience with teenagers in the past. But at 75, they said, yeah, I'll serve, this. I'll serve the next generation. Can I say I think that's pretty cool? What if God tells again, starting a new ministry in the area? Uh, maybe what if at what if at 65 years old God says plant a church? Would you do it? Maybe maybe you're gonna be like Gary Beckett. Gary, like maybe you're gonna like start taking people around the world to missions. I mean, Gary's like hundred years old. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> but hear, hear me, hear me. I love the fact that Acts chapter 2 includes that, that older folks are going to what? They're going to dream dreams. God can still give you dreams, people. I don't care if you're 60, 75, or 105. God can still give you dreams. So again, as Zach gets ready to play, we're going to get ready to close. I would tell you this, those of you in the older generation, again, I'll let you kind of decide if you're in that one. Here's what I would say. There's still room for you. There's, stu- there's room for you at this church. Oh, holy cow, I hope today that you understand there's room for you. We as a church want you to experience this, embrace this, feel this. We honor your wisdom. We honor your experience, your expertise, and your spiritual maturity. Let age just be a number. Just let it be a number. Because in the end, just to recap, we can claim our mountain by doing so, by letting age just be a number. Now, before we're done, though, I, kind of, I just mentioned a second ago, so those of you in the room that are like teenagers, maybe you're younger than a teenager, maybe you're in your 20s, um, I do think that this, this point, though, even though it's not connected to our text, does apply to you as well. Um, to the young people in the room, um, the younger generation here today, here's what I would say to you. As much as I would tell the older generation here today that God's not done, it's not too early to start. Those of you in the younger generation, it's not too early to start. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are what? Don't, look, don't let anybody look down because you're young, but set an example for the believers, for us, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You can start doing, I don't care if you're 8 years old or 18 years old, you can start doing kingdom things. Now, by the way, God used a lot of people in their teenage years in the Bible to do incredibly king, incredible things for the kingdom. Age doesn't need to be a factor. It's just a number. It just is a number. With that, why don't you stand? Well, we pray that you enjoyed the message today. We pray that it was challenging and that the Spirit has stirred something new in you today. Have a blessed week.